I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Can your hands go in like above the knuckles? Like yeah. it needs to... That's the real crime in women's clothing. It's like, yeah. don't give... I don't wear women's clothing, but like I notice they don't... They give you fake pocket, decoy yeah. pockets that you can fit like... A, a hair tie. A, a small handful of change in yeah. there and nothing right. else. It's stupid. It's really... A bobby pin. A bobby pin and a hair elastic. Frankly, it's misogynistic. Maybe chapstick. The whole thing <laughs> is, is to make you buy a purse. It's Absolutely. like the whole yeah. purse industry exists yeah. because uh, there aren't pockets. No. They get together with big purse and big pants get together. Industries. In their industry meetings. Yeah. In their, they in their ivory towers. I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's dive out together, see what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that's gay as the day is long, but like one of those days in June in Iceland where the day is uh, 21 yes. hours long. <laughs> so the longest day. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Sarah York. And today we're decking out with Chelsea more about growing up Baptist. Chelsea is a filmmaker and one half of Sour Peach Films, the other half being Erica Rose from our Sex Scenes episode. She is currently working on a feature documentary about the award-winning Dragon Burlesque Collective Switch and Play. Chelsea, thank you for decking out with us today. Thanks for having me. A couple quick announcements before we get into our topic. Our next show at Stonewall, which... I'm assuming might be sold out by now by the time you hear this. We're recording this episode a couple weeks before it comes out. But you never know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They've been selling out so fast. They have. Thank you to everyone. Thank you for everyone who's coming. Yeah, but we have a lot of regulars who are jumping on the tickets right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time it sold out in less than a week and we didn't really plug it that much. No, we didn't. Yeah, people just went online and bought up the tickets. So if you want to go... 
Uh, April 29th, it's Monday at Stonewall at uh, 7.30. We're going to have um, Sydney Washington, Liz Glazer, past guests, uh, also Anna Fraga, who hasn't been on the podcast, um, but is a very funny, queer um, comedy writer. And Sir Baby Girl is going to be performing, and I'm very excited about that performance. Uh, she was at South by Southwest, and she likes to uh, strip down to her... Uh, strap on harness. Uh, I mean, which who among us sounds right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good fit yeah. for our show. Like, I think I think this is the right crowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's gonna have a good response. Okay. Um, and then also on June twenty third, we are having our live recording to kick off Pride Week. Mm-hmm. It's a big Pride this year. It's the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall. Yep. It's also World Pride. Um, is going to be in New York City. So I guess that's a big thing. Yeah. Like people from around the world are going to be coming for this, um, which I think is why we don't have a June date for our Diking Out at Stonewall show because Stone- they're like, we need all the space we can get. I for think all these so. People. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say it's not going to happen, but he was like, I can't promise you a June yeah. date yet. So we went ahead and caveat uh, has twice the capacity. Mm-hmm. So we're like, what better for a live recording? It's like a cabaret setting. It's really nice. And, um, you know, as you guys all know, Rosie O'Donnell agreed that she would be our guest for that episode. Yeah, we're and pretty yeah. <laughs> so if you want to witness my Barbara Streisand moment yeah. in person, uh, <laughs> please come out to caveat. If you want to, if um, you want to witness Carolyn literally faint in public, reaching the peak of her entire life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to see what I look like at my most nervous, or if you want to see what my face looks like when I'm trying really hard not to cry, yeah. uh, please come to Caveat. If you want to see someone self-actualize in real time, yeah. this is the, the time to do it. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, man. I, I'm, i like, sweating just thinking yeah. about it. So much sweating involving that news. <laughs> uh, so, Chelsea, first thing on my list to ask you about before we get to the topic, Law & Order SVU. <laughs> You worked on the show. I did. Yeah, so last... What does Mariska Hargitay smell like? <laughs> That's what the listeners want to know, Chelsea. What does no, she... I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Creeped, I did take going. a. I did get a tour of her dressing room, which is... Oh, my God. It's like a whole like hotel suite they I'm built sure. on the stage. Because they shoot at Chelsea Piers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have this whole... I mean, they've been there forever. Like over twenty or twenty years at this point, right? Show's been going show. over for twenty years. They were in New Jersey, and then I think like ten plus ten tenish years ago, they moved to Chelsea. Piers. Okay, okay. That was about the time. I think it was because New Jersey lost their tax incentive for film, but mm-hmm. for some reason they moved to Chelsea Piers, and so uh, she has this like incredibly built out. Like she has like a meditation room. She has like. All these, you know, oh hair God. and makeup. It's like I it's a nice that. place to like. She gets like her hang own out. Like, compound. She like yeah. her view is from Chelsea Piers, looking out over the water. Yeah, like, it's 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 very luxe. As Are her kids there? She brings her kids on. She set, does right? bring her kids yeah. to set um, fairly occasionally. There's also a bunch of dogs that run around because different cast members have dogs that they bring to set, and they bring their kids to set. It's a very like family. I mean, that show has been running for so long. The PAs are now the producers. Wow. Like, yeah. A lot of the people on that crew have, like, not done any other jobs. It's very strange environment to walk into. They're like, this is how it works. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've never done it this way before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and then, so we share the same birthday 
also she and I. <laughs> That's awesome. We're both January 23rd. And they had like a big, and I was there. I started right before uh, they broke for the Christmas holiday, or right after they came back from the Christmas holiday last year, December, January, and then came on until they finished that season. And we, yeah, so I was there during my birthday, which is in January, and she, they had like a big cake for her. They had flowers everywhere. And they you like, thought it was for you. They, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I am the new person at this place that everyone has known each other and knows each other's kids for yeah. years. Like, yeah. it's intense to walk into that environment. There's also so many men in that uh, world. I'm sure. Which is just, you know. That's its own thing. That's its own Isn't thing. Isn't that yeah. who should be telling the rape and victim narrative? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's when you come in and you're like, okay, so the people who write all of the sexual assault stuff yeah. is like, oh, you're just a bunch of dudes. Also, and- the people who make it seem like NYPD's uh, special victims unit is helpful and compassionate, mm-hmm. uh, all dudes, because that is actually... Uh, very false and actually uh, quick tangent, sorry, but not a Mm -hmm. fair portrayal of um, how victims are treated in the city of New York. And a friend of mine is suing um, the NYPD for their treatment and um, along with someone else. And I don't know if they've got more people on the lawsuit for uh, the detectives talking them out of reporting their rapes and shaming them. Yeah. And uh, making, I mean, I've heard reports of uh, people getting made fun of for how ugly their rapist was. Wow. Uh, Being told that their rape wasn't really rape Mm -hmm. when they were asleep and were woken up by a penis in them. But that's not rape. Uh, You know, and all sorts of crazy stories by the NYPD. And I feel like SVU might make a lot of people feel like we all know it's TV, but you might think that there's like a, you know, Mariska Hargitay type She's figure that's for you. compassionate yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. believes you immediately. Mm-hmm. And uh, knowing that it's mostly men behind the scenes makes me be like, oh yeah, yeah. They probably think like, oh yeah, women get a fair shake. Anyway, not that it's all women. There are also course, obviously yeah. a lot of male victims on the show. Chelsea, continue. My apologies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this whole, like, it was, I think it was like a Wonder Woman themed birthday party. So they had someone come in dressed as Wonder it. Woman oh and God. sing to her and there were cakes. Like everyone, like, the look on was, Sarah's face right I'm now. Literally, the, you're hitting all of my interests. <laughs> Everything is There's highlighted. Mariska Hargitay, Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. This is incredible. A Wonder yeah. Woman impersonator. Yeah, or it was like a friend that, one of her friends that dressed up as Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Even was, better. Was unclear. I was like week two into the job. Yeah. <laughs> and so she, so then, okay, so they have their whole birthday explosion and everything and everyone's in good spirits and everything. And then um, the art department uh, arranges to have me like a birthday cake. And so they like surprised me. It was really sweet. And they brought in a cake and they sang happy birthday and everything. And someone else, like somehow she had gotten wind that it was my, that the new girl was like, it was her birthday or whatever. So she like, I hear her running down the hallway being like, who's Chelsea? Where's Chelsea? What office is Chelsea in? And I'm like bracing for impact. Oh my God. And then she like bursts into the office and is like, 
are you Chelsea? Is it your birthday too? She was like so apologetic that she like had like had her birthday and not like I didn't like have also wow. share in this Wonder Woman. She didn't share her Wonder Woman impersonator. She didn't, share her Wonder Woman yeah. she didn't let you get a song too. Yeah. She didn't get it. She was like, well, happy birthday. And I can't remember if she gave me a hug or what because it was just a Because you just was, like blacked out. I was from like, like, wow, this is so much. Yeah. And then she like runs away. She's just, like, frantic. Like, just, like, so much energy pulsing through her. She, like, runs back to her dressing room. No idea what's about to happen. And she brings me some of the flowers that had been brought for her for her birthday. And she, like, brings this bouquet and, like, like plops it onto my desk. And she's like, I know purple is your favorite. So there's, like, purple flowers. She's like, I know purple is your favorite color. So here you go. Happy birthday. And, like, just, like, in a, like, here. That's the sweetest thing because ever. Because I had purple hair at the time, which oh. also added to, like, a a character was later written in with like purple hair and like it was a very strange experience to like be observed and have just not been in there because the writers had just been walking down my hallway and I my off my desk was like right in the doorway yeah and then the next episode was like there was like a a, a co-op worker like this with purple, like, hair? Pur- with purple hair. Oh my god. And then they wanted it to be in the right or the director or the writers had been told hair and makeup that they wanted the hair like really vibrant purple. And the hair and makeup guy was like, I'm blaming you for this. Because now <laughs> I can't just like tint her hair purple. Right. I have to like bleach it thing. down. Like this a couple day maybe a day player or whatever. And I have to like bleach her hair and then dye it all like this How vibrant specific. purple. I love this. Isn't this strange? Yeah. Been, like, did that character too. have like a line? Was she, she did. one of the people getting questioned? She did. I think who she had, had to brush like people an off. Yeah. I think she oh, had okay. she was having an affair with maybe a, a a suspect okay. or like a perk oh, was okay. like yeah. and she was like recognizable by her purple hair is is purple actually your favorite color because people assume that pink is my favorite color and I actually have never liked the color pink mm. and, and because the, of your hair being pink well or yeah just yeah yeah because? well well people like assume that because my hair is pink that yeah. I love pink and then I also wear pink stuff now but that's because of the hair but the hair was never because I liked the color pink it was just because right. it looked cool on Shirley Manson and I was going through a divorce. Like, that's <laughs> the honest truth of it. And now and, it's your brand. And now, you and can't now it's my brand. It. Yeah. But I never liked it. So everyone's like, well, you love pink. Right. Like, you must love pink. I'm like, yeah. no. Hair I, color I, is, yeah. No, yeah, I was I just think spiraling is, at the time. And this yeah. is what I did. Pink <laughs> is like a weird color because it's like ascribed to you know, feminism and yeah. little girls. And I've always, and, and growing up, I like rejected that. I was like, yeah. no, I like blue and green and like bold colors. Mm-hmm. I don't like pink, like nothing. In my bedroom was pink. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Here but we was are. that like you for purple? You're just like, no, purple looks cool. Yeah. But- I, my friend had opened up her salon and she was like, she wanted to take some like promo photos. So she had the reason why I like dyed my hair. My hair was first pink. Yeah. And then we had swapped it up and I had gone for this like really dark, vibrant purple, which yeah. is really cool. But I mean, I like purple, but I mean, I wouldn't say that like I dyed my hair purple because it's my favorite color. Yeah. It's very different. Like what looks you would, if your hair favorite color was green, green doesn't necessarily look good on you as on like hair. a hair color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like pink is very pretty on people. Yeah. Pinks, purples, mm-hmm. all those light those colors look great on so like many those people. Pastel mm-hmm. kind of colors, yeah. Yeah, it's very like nice look. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's like the whole like these purple flowers ended up on my desk oh from Mariska Hargitay. No, flowers yeah. from Mariska Hargitay. I can literally cannot imagine. That's yeah. amazing. It was it was incredible. Um, and then there was an, the I think it was a couple weeks later or maybe a 
further into the season, they she had because her movie was coming out, so it was in April of last year. Um, the We Are Evidence movie about um, the documentary, rape the rape yeah. kits, and having oh, them yeah, tested, yeah. and all of the backlogs and everything. Yeah. So she had done. She was promoting this movie, so she had gotten T-shirts for the movie that said like "We Are Evidence" or "We're the Evidence" or something like mm-hmm. that, and so. All of a sudden, this PA, this male PA, was like running down the hallway as being like, Mariska wants all the women in her dressing room. And I was like, I think I was so annoyed because he was just like yelling it at people. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what if I don't identify as a woman? Right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. do I need to be like, what do you see? What do you mean by all the women? That's Those- like at my last job when they rounded us up to yell at us about flushing tampons. They're like, all the women. Yeah. yeah. It's like such an, <laughs> it was such an aggressive such an thing yeah. to yeah. be like, all the women get in Mariska, Mariska's dressing room. Like, no, that are we being slaughtered? Like what's happening? I mean, yeah, it was so it just so <laughs> rounded up. What a the, good way to die! Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I, <laughs> I'm fine. Dressing room. <laughs> it's so, rounded us I mean, up. My mind went somewhere else, but it's like, oh, are we? What's what's happening in here? <laughs> My dreams are coming true. All the women. Everyone in one else, room. get out. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I was like really annoyed by this, like demand that was being pressed on us for like the star and just to walk in there. So I like finally walk into the room and it's her dressing room. And then they're just like her and her assistants are like throwing t-shirts at people that say we are evidence that we now have to put on our bodies to pose for a photo so that she can post it on her Hmm. social media to promote this film. Like we were never asked if we were in, it, it was never it wasn't presented as an option? It wasn't presented as yeah. an option. It was like, you work for my TV show, so put this on and promote my work. Like, it was very uncomfortable. She was like, people were like moving ha- people's hair and necklaces out of the way so that you could see the design on the sh- the statement on the shirt more. It was like very like but invasive like, What and if you forceful. are a victim yeah, of... Yeah, there's no conversation about that. Have, yeah, there like, was, will this be triggering for anyone? Like, I feel there like that like could a, be very triggering yeah, if you have oh, like, it was, dealt with this first... It was, yeah, it was, I was so upset that day and I just was so frustrated by like being cattle and literally just because I was like, I'm, you just assume I'm a woman Uh and I'm just being forced in here, told to put on this t-shirt and it was like presented like, oh, here you get a t-shirt for the movie. Like you can take one home. Like you're welcome. Um, then, and like pose for this photo. So they ended up taking pictures using my phone because no one had like, she didn't have her phone. Like there was a lot of confusion. It was Mm -hmm. just like, blah. Put this photo, put this shirt on, take this photo, and then we all just like left. We all went back to our job. There was no, no like talk. There was no like form. There was no explanation. No release. No release. No form. No nothing. We just like ended up on her Instagram and like support. Like the women of SVU support this like kind of thing. And I'm like, sounds like it was it was it was an idea that was sort of a whim, and then. They yeah. just cobbled it together at the last second. They were like, we have time, we have to do it, do it now, do it now, between, between takes or whatever. And there was like no conversation about what the movie was. Mm-hmm. It was just an assumption that you knew what the movie was and that you supported it and that right. you were like fine with it and that you would be okay with having your picture taken and that you're a woman or that you identify mm-hmm. as a woman or whatever. No conversation about it. Yeah, Nothing. It was really, nuts. Yeah, it was a strange, uh, yeah. And that kind of like is SVU and my was with was my experience on SVU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like some really cool moments and people and then other times where I was just like, This is like, what the hell? This is like we this is not comfortable. I'm very uncomfortable being here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like also the 
movie and TV industry. I was just going to say yeah. the industry <laughs> as a whole is probably like a, a mishmash of those moments. Um, so I, I was on a uh, live episode of the Les Hangout podcast for their Should Have Been Gay series. And uh, they asked me to speak about uh, Olivia Benson and Law and Order SVU as a show and all the, the queer subtext and whatnot. And so I was doing my research and I spent uh, a whole day just like diving for, for evidence mm-hmm. and uh, was watching Marishka on various um, talk shows. And Sarah, I think I sent you one of the clips. I don't know mm-hmm. if you watch it of her on Conan. I don't think I got that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, her personality on at least these old Conan interviews is like very different than I would have thought. Like very not Olivia Benson, very like Mariska's kind of a party girl and almost like one of the guys, you know, like oh, can hang with the guys God, type thing. Cool girl. Yeah, yeah, cool girl. I'm a cool girl. And uh, Conan was making comments about her dress, you know, creepy comments that were just regular all the time that yeah. male hosts like there's a compilation of David Letterman just saying creepy things to all the women guests about what they're wearing and mm-hmm. their their outfits and uh, Conan was kind of doing that and she was just like eating it up like yeah my boobs here's my cleave yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. you know that's weird this is the attention I'm getting so yeah. that's good it was just it was so gives that gives me the vibes of like the girls that make out for male for men in bars you know what I mean like they yeah. yeah. Like, I kiss girls because the boys like it kind of thing. Well, how many pictures do we post, because uh, she's she is our woman crush Wednesday, but of of her, like, kissing other women yeah. for, for photos. Like, there's yeah. something just, like, super queer baby about. And then also, that's just, like, so radically different than the character of Olivia Benson. And people are like, duh, it's a TV show. It's a TV character. But in TV, and I don't know, maybe this is like mostly with comedians, but a lot of times people are kind of cast based around their their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, though when we talked with Janine Garofalo, she was like, I'm actually not that persona. And that became like the type, the Janine Garofalo type. But yeah. that's, that type isn't who I am. Whereas like, um, like a Chelsea Peretti on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, that is Chelsea Peretti. That's kind yeah. of Chelsea Peretti. Yeah. Like yeah. that's how she interacts with people. Or like Broad City. Um, that's Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer. Like yeah. that that's just who they are. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously those shows are different, but yeah. um still. That's not to say obviously there are actors who play like dramatically different characters, but sometimes especially like twenty years running, yeah. It's easy to think like, oh this yeah, is just the, who you are. We've this seen is who you she like is. This. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is easy to think that you know someone based on a character, especially one, like you said, that that's long running. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. I know. I prefer to just think of her as Olivia Benson yes. and not I know. anything else. Okay. Well, that's then. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. She's still on Women Crush Wednesday every week. Yeah. We're keeping up that bit. I know. I'm like, when can I end this bit? Because we pigeonholed ourselves into I making pigeon- Hargate our Women Crush Wednesday on Instagram every single week. And thought it was funny at the time, but now I'm like... Maybe we could change it. It's also a straight white woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) every week, and that feels not like our thing. No, not at all. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway. um, Well, yeah, let's get into our topic. Growing up Baptist. So, Chelsea, let me guess. You grew up 
Baptist. <laughs> I grew up uh, Southern Baptist. Southern oh, Baptist, so yes. That is a different extra, kind. Yeah. It is a different convention. It's a different yes. organization. It was actually, I was actually looking it up to see, like, wait, when did that happen, that separation happen, what were the reasons? It was because of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, so the separation was... I'm guessing Southern Baptist was not on the right side of right, that one. Right, right. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, it was a split between the Baptists and the Northern Baptists were like abolitionists and the Southern Baptists were like, we should still have slavery. And so we're going to come off to our own and have... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So like, yeah. So that's why Southern Baptists mm-hmm. like have a separate convention. Are you from or, the South? Or? I am from okay. the South. So I grew up in Tennessee. Okay. Um, my dad, uh, my mom and my mom's family are all from South Alabama, mm. um, like where Hank Williams is from. And so and then they moved to Tennessee. My mom and, well, yeah, my mom and my dad met in Tennessee, and that's where we were born. And my sister and I and my brother, we all grew up in Tennessee. My parents are still in Tennessee. Um, so grew up Southern Baptist. My grandfather was a Methodist preacher though. Mm-hmm. Um, and was homeschooled my whole life, K through 12, never went to public school and yeah, kind of conservative religious, uh, upbringing. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's big give week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. 
shopify.com slash realm. How was that being homeschooled? I I know some people who grew up being homeschooled, but they were like main homeschooled. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like for religious reasons. It was just for like weird main reasons. Uh, (laughs) It's yeah. So someone actually, I was watching this clip from this comedian who was on Conan recently talking about being homeschooled. And he, I think his name was like James Moses, Moses something. Um, And he was talking about how he used to get these like V8, he convinced his mom to get VHS tapes because like you could, it was a Christian there's so many different ways to homeschool. Yeah. And so many different way, reasons why to homeschool your kids. Yeah. Um, and he was like, we were, it was for religious reasons. And so he would get this tape system where you would watch like a filmed classroom and you would follow along with the students in the classroom. And then he would tape over that video with Conan, old Conan shows. So he would be like watching Conan. Instead of doing his schoolwork. Instead of, instead the, of yeah, his schoolwork. Yeah. And so he, but then you would have to send <laughs> the tapes back. Oh my God. And then his parents got like, or he was sent back this letter that was like, you have like disrupted our brand and people don't trust us. And like, you've damaged our curriculum, blah, 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 all this stuff. Cause he was sending back tapes that had Just Conan. Conan bits. <laughs> instead of great. Conan bits. And yeah. it's, yeah, it was pretty great. But he was talking about, <laughs> he was talking about being homeschooled and just like, really kind of shitting on all the reasons why his parents decided to or whatever. So because there are some great reasons to to homeschool. Yeah, he just mm-hmm. kind of it just kind of felt like he was just like saying like all the stereotypical things like that people think about being homeschooled. Sure. And it was kind of disappointing to hear even though that bit is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was I think my parents homeschool does mostly for I mean I grew up in a very small town in mm-hmm. Tennessee in Jackson. Um, and, which is the halfway point between Memphis and Nashville. Okay. And it only existed really because it was a gassing up place in between those, like when you were driving one between. So it, mm-hmm. all of the city like exists on the highway kind of spread out. Sure. Um, and so there's only like one school you could go to. My parent, my mom was, uh, uh, had her master's degree in education. She was like teaching college at the time. And she was like, well, I can like teach kindergarten. And that'll be fine. Like, I can each do that. And it's, it'll be better than what they're getting in the public school. So she started out with kindergarten and then, like, went all the way up through. We just kept going year to year and, like, never stopped mm-hmm. being homeschooled. Um, my sister and I are, like, two years apart. So it was both of us. And then my brother is 10 years younger than I am. So then he was homeschooled up until about fifth grade and then went to this, like, public school in Chattanooga, mm-hmm. just where my parents are now. But... Like it was very conservative, very religious based. All the curriculum was my mom built the curriculum. My mom, I was really like fortunate, like that my mom's an educator, yeah. And both of my parents like invested so much money and time and effort into building up my sister and I's like our education, the quality of education that we got. My mom would spend hours like building out lesson plans and curriculums and like yeah. piecing together because you can just do the life way like Christian. Order this set they of send books, you all the, the, yeah, and here's the your curriculum. math book and yeah. your English mm-hmm. book and your grammar and all of this. Science and no book. science book. No, I'm just <laughs> well, kidding. Oh, I mean, I did, <laughs> but I, I, probably a, a different version of science. I would assume. I don't know. How does that? How does that work? Well, I, I was going to say quick uh, past guest Brooke Arnold, who mm-hmm. grew up in the um, fundamentalist church, and uh, her parents took her out of school uh, in the second grade to homeschool her. Um, because that was when they were converted and then told school is evil and whatever. 
so Brooke had a second grade education. Like they never really supplemented mm-hmm. um, yeah. that or replaced it with anything other than reading out of a Bible, yeah. uh, which is insane. Right. And like all she wanted was to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just so vastly different. Also yeah. you're talking about like, um, socioeconomical differences, sure. like what you can afford. You know, my parents were investing a ton of money into buying good curriculum or buying, you know, having access to books they were buying. Like, yeah. you know, there was no library that we had. We built our, you know, we su- supplemented our own. As you know from college, a textbook is expensive. Yeah. It's incredibly. Yeah. 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 And, um, but it was really cool because, I mean, there were elements of it that were really awesome for me because I felt like I had like a direct connection to my education and I was involved in my education. I could talk about it with my parents. I could talk about it with my mom about like, okay, she would be like, we're studying this amount of this time period in history next mm-hmm. year. You have to read 20 books. Mm-hmm. Go, it can be it can be written in this time period or it can be about this time period. Like go for that, whatever you find or whatever. Here's a list of 200 books and pick 20 out of. Um, if we were like really into like our science, we ended up doing like a marine biology course. So like dissections were like of of a fish and of a little shark and like all these kinds of things that were just like, because my sister and I were interested in that um, was really great. You know, we could also like do, we volunteered at the Tennessee Aquarium because we could go in early or shifts instead of like kids getting out of school, waiting. Um, yeah, we had access to a lot of things that um, I'm really appreciative of. And then there were reasons like our science textbooks were also like apologetics based. So it was like, how can we like, everything is creation. Like God created all of this and evolution is the theory. It's not like science is based on theories. There aren't proven things. This is one thing that you could learn, but like also God, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, wasn't completely shutting down like evolutionary records, but it was saying like, this isn't necessarily true. This science. Right. (laughs) It's like, we it was say framing the, it in a different way. Than, yeah, it's like yeah. the Bible says that this is like how long the earth has been around. So that doesn't match these records. And like the whole evolution between like, yeah, it was like, that could be a thing, but there's missing, you know, what about the missing stages of? I remember questioning all sorts of stuff in my like Catholic religious classes. And um, I remember specifically asking, challenging the earth being made in seven days or six days and then he rested on the seventh. Is yeah. that it? Yeah. And uh, being like, but science and all these things. And they're like, day, a day for God isn't a day. Like we yeah. see a day, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's what they say. And, okay. then, and then I was like, but what about on Jesus? When they say on the third day, he, he rose again. Is that the same amount of days? Yeah. What, what day and units like, are we talking about in the Bible here? And then they're, they're like, like, this little one's causing trouble. No more questions. <laughs> We're Multiple done. times yeah. told no more questions. We're we're done with questions now. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down and learn this. Yeah, and then you can think later. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was like eighteen after I graduated high school. I moved to um, like Westchester in New York and had an internship with a theater producer for a couple years, for two years before I moved into the city. And I remember he would give lectures across the country, so he wouldn't fly; he would drive. So I was just like basically hired to like drive him around to all these like cities across the U.S. and talk to like dance studios and theater, like community theater groups. And I remember he was asking me about like my upbringing, my education and stuff. And I remember like sitting in like a Denny's or an IHOP booth and like 
talking about how I had not learned evolution as like, you know, like Mm -hmm. as the mostly agreed upon thing in like the world Mm -hmm. and like having to ask myself and ponder like, do I believe this? Like what do I believe what I was taught by people that care about me and love me? Or do I like, how do I think for my, like really thinking for myself, like making that decision for myself for one of the first times yeah, um, on something that was like so fundamental. Yeah. Cause it's one thing to question what you've been taught when the people that were teaching you were like teachers and a school system and stuff. But like if it's your parent, that adds a, a layer of like nuance exactly yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you're like, okay, my parents are wrong, not just like right, not this just institution. The, or yeah, the, the system. system. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh yeah, it was really uh a really strange Yeah. But also those are the reasons why I'm the person I am now. It's like that I um I mean I never I never rode the school bus. That was like a crazy thing that people didn't understand that I'd never ridden a school bus before or never been like in a classroom with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's always the idea of like, oh, when I tell people like, oh, I was homeschooled, they're like, oh, that's why you are, it's either you're so weird or you're so (laughs) normal. I get both. It's one or the other. They're like, oh, you're still so normal. Oh, you're weird. It's a very polarizing topic. Very polarizing when you talk about education. Yeah. There's just... I think it's the best when we have everyone has the best options available and people can make the decision, an educated decision, and have resources. Um, but you know, I don't think anyone should be forced to do one version mm-hmm. or the other. Mm-hmm. But you know, my parents were very were not anti public school or private school or anything. You know, they were like, we pay taxes that go into the public school that we're not participating in. Mm-hmm. We're like doing our homeschool thing, which we on top of that have to pay our own like. We have to pay for your homeschooling, but we're also supporting the public school because that is an option for people that should have. Yeah. Are you still able to participate in things like uh, like athletics and those kind of programs within the schools? It depends. So, okay. And it also uh, maybe now at this point, but definitely back uh, in like the 90s when my parents were starting out, it, um, not every, it wasn't legal in every state. Mm-hmm. And there were different variations or there were different conditions to letting you, uh, being allowed to homeschool your children. Yeah. So you had to be registered with the local school board or you had to be registered with the state or different things like that. We were a part of a homeschool legal defense association in Tennessee. It was legal. You didn't have to register with the county or anything. Um, but we did pay like a membership into this legal defense team that in case you were, you know, called out by child protective services mm-hmm. or your kids were like, you know, picked up by the cops when they were at the library during school hours or whatever, like you could have some sort of defense mm. um, in place. And we were registered with a an umbrella school. So there was like an umbrella school that a lot of students in the state of Tennessee that were homeschooled were registered. They were like, they acted as a private school and you could be a student mm-hmm. under them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to like submit like what your curriculum layout was that year or whatever and pay into them. And then they would, they, that's where my high school diploma came from. Oh, okay. So I have a high school diploma, but then I, and I applied to a bunch of schools when I graduated high school and got into pretty much, you know, a bunch of places. And then I ended up not going cause I went and did this internship. And then when I left that internship, I was applying to like all the like different CUNY schools mm-hmm. and I they would not accept my high school diploma because there's a point system with high school diplomas and they, my Mine was like a point below what CUNY accepted. So I had to go and take the GED, which was an interesting experience. So I have an high school diploma and a GED. 
And then, but but then my, I told I was telling my family about this, and so my parents just registered my sister and my brother underneath a different umbrella school that met that oh my point God. system. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing it's like changed. So much like bureaucratic layers of you know. Like yeah. Nothing changed. Right. There. It was just, it was a technicality. Essentially, I mean, yeah. It, was it is kind of good that they have these layers well, so course, that people yeah. who are just. I don't know. To, well, it protects to, kids ultimately. Yeah, it protects kids. If parents who are like, oh no, they're homeschooled, but they're not, and they're just right, like, yeah. feral and not learning anything. It's yeah. not. It's not good. You know, obviously, it's detrimental for a kid. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean the the education system in this country is absolutely terrible. It needs work. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so that's mean, why, like, I think the people I know in Maine, I think that was more of it that the parents were like. We not enough to better. send, yeah, yeah. Not enough to send everybody to private school, right? Um, mm-hmm. But also, we're equipped to do this better. The if public you're schools to do are it, failing. Then do it. Yeah, I mean, if you, but I see, like, you see these stories of people who are homeschooled and they can actually learn everything that you learn over the course of so many years in a way shorter time, and then they're going to college earlier. Like, yes, they're missing out on a lot of. Like, Some of the social development, I suppose, but well, no, because maybe, you, I but mean, not really. Because a lot of those parents, you know, make sure that they're in like karate class, yeah, or right. part and of the out with other kids soccer team, way. and that yeah. kind of thing, and get their socialization like that. But that their time at school isn't filled with like the distractions of. I mean, think about well, school is ninety percent just being self conscious and yeah. like <laughs> I know interacting with other kids, you know, and that's so. And hoping nobody figures kids, out I mean, that you're, you're gay. lucky if you got through it without, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> desperately what, pretending to be straight. If you're, if you're homeschool, you're also like, I hope no one here figures out I'm gay. Yeah, <laughs> I hope. But then Just I, a smaller audience. I mean, on top of that, like to add, like, yeah, these extracurricular activities that you participate in, and like we had uh, in Jackson where I was like younger, from like to about eleven or twelve, we lived. There was like a there's a, a cultural center, a civic arts center, and then they have they run plays throughout the year for the community. It's community theater center. But then they also would have homeschool plays where they would take a play and they would have rehearsals earlier in the day because you were homeschooled. So okay, it was like yeah. a similar thing. So it was only allowed for homeschool students mm-hmm. um, because you could be, you could switch your schedule around. And that was kind of like a cool, like meet other homeschoolers. Yeah. Um, and then we also participated in this homeschool group when we moved to East Tennessee. And this was like much more rural, like, Hardy's went out of business. Um, we were like 20 minutes mm-hmm. to a gas station and then an hour from town and you very, wow. very back in the mountain, which was great and also complicated and like growing up rural and growing up rural and queer, growing up rural and homeschooled and religious and in Tennessee and like Appalachia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How does that work? <laughs> um, I mean, I'd never like, so we were part of this homeschool group um, and there's varying different levels of people who are participating in it, but it was a um, like twice a month, every other week you would meet and a different, te- a different parent would teach a class. So you could spend like eight hours at this, like was, I think it was almost always at a church and you could, you know, if a teacher, if one of the parents was like a musician, then they would teach like a band oh, okay. class. Yeah. If someone was an athlete, they would teach like basketball. You would have like a team sport kind of thing. Or if my mom t- taught drama. So we would do like a play and we could have rehearsals within this whole like homeschool group that we would put on. And were they all Southern Baptist? No, there was okay. a variety of students okay. of like religious backgrounds. There was like Seventh-day Adventist, um, uh, Southern Baptist, Methodist. It was a 
almost all, there were a base, there was a lot of like conversation about between the parents of like, what would be, because they were all, everyone was religious, I would say. Yeah. Everyone who participated had some sort of religious like affiliation. And so then deciding on what the like agreed upon beliefs would be for everyone mm-hmm. was always up for argument. Yeah. Um, and what did it create arguments? I mean, were it there did, arguments? Yeah. yeah. Parents were like fighting over like, you know, if, you know, if you had a kid there, because Seven Days of Venice, there was like, you know, kids who weren't allowed to have pepperoni on pizza. And so if they were ordering pizza and kids were sitting next to people who were eating pepperoni pizza, then their parents would be like, you can't do that. This is, okay. you know, this is offensive to us or whatever. Or like it was, yeah, it was a complicated thing. And also like there was there, even within homeschoolers, they created their own like, um, double standard for, um, what girls like clothing standards, like what girls mm-hmm. were allowed versus what boys were allowed to wear. And like, you could not wear spaghetti straps and there mm-hmm. was like, you know, you couldn't wear shorts, your shorts. This was the best, this was the best and the worst, but like your short, if you stood up straight and your you had your hand arms, the next to your body, like your shorts mm-hmm. had to graze, like they couldn't be shorter than your long, like your, your fingertips. Finger, yeah. Yeah. Your fingertips. Okay. Catholic school rule. Yeah. Oh. But like, I, I went realize, to a public school. I was, I they were just trying to make us. They were oh, just trying yeah, to keep yeah, us the, alive in public school. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, well, I mean, they had rules, but not you know. I didn't go to Catholic school, but just knowing enough people who did, yeah. the general rule is women would try the to. Thing yeah, the, they would try to hike up their skirts. Like you had to wear the skirt, but if you folded enough or whatever, you can yeah. wear it up higher. And then they would make you put your hands down to your side and make sure that it's the appropriate length. It was the right length. Yeah, but it was like that doesn't make any sense because. Kids' arms are longer or shorter. Their legs right. are longer or shorter. What I'm wearing is like a short kid. Yeah. I was like, it's also, a, you know, like not being a short skinny kid. It was like a short fat kid mm-hmm. or like short whatever. Like those clothes are going to fit me differently. Like yeah. I'm not wearing what your kids are wearing or I do wish that somebody whatever. banned spaghetti strap shirts uh, <laughs> oh, when I grew up. Those didn't work for me. No. And I grew up I in wore the them. heyday of when those were cool and oh. like it was bad. I wore them I tried all the time and I shouldn't have uh, and I see pictures of myself in high school I'm like who let me go to school in this like <laughs> yeah. spaghetti strap tank top. Uh, also led to a lot of bad sunburns. Anyway. Right. I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah but there was always a fight over like what your parents would let you wear versus like what you were allowed to wear like in the homeschool group. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like it was my sister and I, it was always a fight. Like, we were allowed to wear my, – my parents never, like, put any, like, restrictions on what we wore, except it just needed to be, like, age-appropriate mm-hmm. kind of thing. And we never really had any fights about that. But then going into this other space, which was fake, it was like a right. homeschool – like, we're not – this isn't real. We're, this is like a play group, basically, where yeah. we're doing classes and participating and getting socialization. But then being told by other parents, not by a teacher or anything, but being told by other parents that what we were wearing was inappropriate. Yeah. And like... And having those adults exert some sort of authority over you when they yeah, they don't a judgment. have that. Yeah. yeah they were yeah. constant. It was a constant judgment and uh, constant like feeling judged and feeling um, that what we were was always up for debate with other people's parents. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, there was, that stands out as like the worst part about that experience was other people putting their, whatever they were raising their kids with over me and mm-hmm. my sister and like defending my sister or like having 
uh, older boys like tease my brother for having like long blonde curly hair and then like taking a basketball and throwing it at their face because I was so angry. Yeah. And I was like, you, you're bullying. Like, what are you, this is, you're teasing a kid because he has long hair. People homeschool kids so that they can't get bullied. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But still, I suppose any situation in which you're bringing kids together. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's going to be bullying. There are the, there's those bullying, natural social lines develop. and Parents get involved in other people's kids rearing. Right. And, like, telling and you, And shitty like, parents with shitty kids, you shitty know. Shitty parents like, with shitty kids or just... No one's immune to that. No. Yeah. Oh, God. Not at all. Sounds like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then also then you're, like, bringing up, like, the queerness and, like, realizing yeah. that. But And I didn't realize... I didn't know anyone who was gay when I was growing up mm-hmm. or didn't know that they were gay or anything like that. I was just, uh, I was explaining, I remember being like maybe like really young, I don't know, five, six, and like hearing the word gay. And I remember asking like what that meant. And it was explained to me as like, that's when two men get married so that they can have insurance. Oh, that's okay. how it was introduced to me. It was like, it's like cheating this system. Yeah. Although it still seems kind of progressive, but that's how but it was, like, ta- you know, yeah. for the time I yeah. would expect. I was expecting you to say that it was explained to you in some sort of like sin context, like in a religious context. I think that was that it was always kind of like as I got older, that's when like the sin and the shame came layered in. Okay, okay. But it wasn't like the first time it was just like, oh, that is not, it, it's not anything. They don't feel anything for each other. That is literally. It was framed as insurance fraud. It's insurance yeah. fraud. <laughs> I've never laughed at that. Yeah, I guess so. It's insurance fraud. It's right. gay marriage. <laughs> They're criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Be gay. Do crimes. Yes. Insurance fraud. Yeah. Insurance fraud. That's, That's the what crime that we do. <laughs> but yeah, so there was, uh, I had a, I had a friend who we became really close in this homeschool group because um, we both like panda bears, you know, in of course. the 2000s. It's great. Really strong <laughs> bonding moments over panda bears. Panda bears and dolphins really had a moment in the early 2000s. Yeah, because everyone Thank you, Lisa them. Frank. Yeah. Because we were also, Lisa Frank. we yeah. were like also horse girls. <laughs> oh, horse girls. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'm also see, liked yeah. panda bears. Right. You know? uh. like, Double layer. As an that. aside, I'm really enjoying the term horse girl and how it's become a thing now because it's such a thing. Yes. Yeah. I went to high school with several horse girls who are probably like, I don't even know what they could be now. They're, they're all Trump supporters now, but like. There are different kind of horse a, girls. There are different different levels of horse, horse girl for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's ho- horse girls who like Casey Musgraves music. Yeah. And then there's ones who listen to like. Miranda Lambert, those are the wild horse girls. Those are the ones that like go out and get hammered and are bleh, and Chugging then beers. and have like yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then one we'll, of the cool girls and ones who cosplay in the forest all the time now. Yeah. That's one of the ones <laughs> yeah. I went to high school with. Oh yeah, she invites yeah. me to cosplaying events on Facebook. Great. Yes, those those the Renaissance <laughs> horse yeah. girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that re- they were into horses for transportation horse purposes yeah. only. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yes. Anyway. Absolutely. So uh, she and I were really good friends. And then all of a sudden, like through the school year, she disappeared. Like her whole family left town. And I had no idea what happened. On and horse. On horseback. <laughs> I wish it was. They just disappeared. And she, uh, there were letters that were passed around at this homeschool group at like our, you know, a meeting that like in white envelopes. Like that, a memo for everyone? Like a memo. But it was only handed out to, like, parents. And the parents were, like, deciding whether, like, to, and my mom didn't tell me, like, she didn't share the information with me. So I didn't understand until later. I don't even know how I actually found out about this. But basically her parents 
the she had a brother, and the brother had like. I don't know what actually happened, but had like made a pass or like had hinted at being attracted to another boy. Mm -hmm. And they had been like excommunicated, kicked out of the homeschool group and like shamed enough so that they left Chattanooga or left like the East Tennessee area and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Um, Yeah. I really hope things turned out okay for that kid. I think that kid's fine. I I saw him at one point on Facebook and it was like fine living life. Tennessee right. is where Garrett Conley, uh, author of Boy Erased, uh, that's where he went to his uh, conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. That was where one of the uh, centers the, was. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's some scary shit. So even like not out, like outside of a church, outside of school or whatever, like even within this homeschool group, there was like this erasure of, yeah. wow. like that I didn't understand at the time and only understood like much later, like later in high school and as an adult now unpacking. Mm-hmm. And there was like a kid, uh, an older guy who was really good friends with at church at one of the churches that I used to go to. And again, like disappeared, didn't really know what happened to him and then came back and was like, had gone and joined the military and definitely had been like pushed out or like told that like this, like he was gay or whatever was wrong. It was a sin. So he like, went to the military to have it like worked out of him or whatever and came back and like spoke in front of the church and, um, in like an ex gay kind of way. Yeah. And like oh, an ex gay, like, I don't think I was allowed to be there. I wasn't present for this talk, but I like knew it was happening and like kind of understood the context of like, Oh, well he was, you know, he liked boys and that was bad. So now he doesn't do that anymore. Um, wow. yeah, that was like, those were the two people that I knew were, or like had some understanding of liking of like same sex liking other men. Also, you know, queer women. Yeah, not no one that I knew of growing up. Even none of the horse girls. None of the horse girls. That's I mean, a, we definitely shocking. weren't like. I mean, I'm sure they are. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they are now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I knew a lot of people that are like. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I've had messages. Uh, actually, I did. Like, one of the girls in this homeschool group that I went to has like come out and like talked to me on via Instagram and was like, you know, I've come out to my family as bi. I think that she said bi or queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, how was that? Like, how did you deal with that? Like, I've known this about myself and seeing you like mm-hmm. in New York. And she's like, you know, talking, how do you do it? And how do you talk to your par- parents and family about it and friends? And I was like, well, I'm not friends with anyone from back home anymore, from that homeschool group. I don't talk to any of them. Mm-hmm. I moved to New York for like a reason. Like yeah. I had to get out of there. Yeah. And like I've had conversations and like with my family at this point and, and, and it's always an evolving because I keep tapping on another thing to them, it mm-hmm. seems like, as like a deepening into the queerness. Um, but then I have to be like, okay, so this is now the thing. This is what we're talking. Like, this is just language. moving to New York State was probably like gay enough already. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then it like, just like drills down like from there. But yeah. you can't give it to them all at once. You got to go yeah. phases. You got to do it in phases. And also, like it was happening with me as yeah, well. Like yeah. I didn't phases, really. Yeah. I mean, I didn't come out. I didn't realize that I was queer. I didn't use that word to describe myself until I was like 23, yeah. maybe. Did you know, bef- I mean, when did you start kind of feeling like, oh, I have maybe an attraction to... It was definitely young. Like, I mean, yeah. Girl Scout camp, I had a huge crush on my uh, like camp counselor. And like there was like, I remember in high school going to this like dancing convention, like this dance convention. And 
there was a dancer who was doing a performance who had like a really short haircut. And I was like, just like, I was captivated by this person mm-hmm. thinking, I remember that was the first and maybe one of the only times where I was like, this is not what I should be feeling mm-hmm. right now. Um, like internally. And I was very embarrassed that I was like attracted to this woman. Um, yeah. So it was like little hints along the way. And it wasn't until I moved to New York and I worked in a restaurant that was affectionately called Gay BC because Great. everyone yeah. was gay. And everyone's gay in the restaurant world everywhere. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, everyone is gay. And yeah, it was just being exposed and like going to uh, different places and different bars and hanging out with people who were gay and not like it wasn't addendum to their identity. It was just like, this is about them. This is what they are. And I had never seen people like living out, like mm-hmm. who were yeah. out and talking about it and dating people and like just truly was like a whole thing for me Mm -hmm. and being like welcomed and like I was like I respected them and they respected me and having this mutual like I was actually friends with people and like met them and knew them and they got to know me and I was like oh wow I had no I was never exposed to this Mm -hmm. growing up what a big shift yeah (laughs) totally I I was just kind of curious you mentioned that your grandfather was a Methodist preacher so then how did your parents end up being Bap- Southern Baptist? Was one of them Southern Baptist and then the other one converted or? I'm not sure exactly how that happened. I mean, my mom, my so it's my mom's father okay. um, who was a Methodist preacher. And then I guess it was, I think what happened, I think my dad's parents were like Baptist or Southern Baptist. And so that's why um, they ended up going to. But I also think it was sort of like an argument between my mom and her dad about like going to a different church than the church that he like preached at. Yeah. Um, I vaguely remember something like that as a kid. But I just remember it's so visceral, like where my dad or where my grandfather preached. Um was like a little wide church in the back of the woods with like green astroturf on the floor yep. and like church pews. I can and like that, that yeah. smell, like that yes. deep woodsy but mildewy, like like it's gas like a, almost radiators. Like a, sort of a dank smell a little bit. Yeah, like, like it was always yeah. slightly. Like there's some sitting water somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just sunk in there. But it's also like just, a mega church. Oh, right. no. opposite of a mega church. Although I did go to a mega church for a little while and that was like another experience which oh was insane God. yeah like going to terrifying. like vacation bible school in multiple <laughs> that was that's a conversation it's like vacation bible school in like rural areas versus like a city versus like at a mega church when you're going to this like sunday camp with like 300 kids mm-hmm. and that's just kids in this church not like the people like this entire sanctuary is larger than the town that I was born right. in or whatever. Yeah. It's like the biggest building you've ever been in at this point is this, is this ginormous it's church. It's a giant yeah. church and it's like, how do you ever, you know, there's multiple services and it's being live streamed and it's, you know, they have a, c- a camera team. They have, they have like an acoustic system, yeah. you know, big speakers and everything and like a concert hall kind of thing. Yeah. It's like a, a fantastic performance venue that's like yeah. being reserved for like churches. Yeah. That's, it's a, that's wild for the Lord. For the Lord, I'm, I mean, I'm Sound from I'm Lord. from Nebraska, and I but I, I lived for a while in Missouri and in, in like uh, the Kansas City area. Hmm. And talk about there's a lot of mega churches out there. It's that's that's like what it is basically. Yeah. Like there, I mean, there are the smaller ones, of course, but um, there are multiple like I don't get the appeal of that man. They look like arenas. I mean, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. yeah, absolutely arena feel. Um, 
Yeah, like there's production value there, you know, like people that are employed as like. I know the point of it is for the people running it is to make money and 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 lots of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But for the the people going, I don't know, like I I felt like I went to a big Catholic church. It wasn't huge, but, you know, it it was a a decent size. But one of the nice things about it is the community. Mm -hmm. I feel like anything bigger than what I went to would be like. Yeah very overwhelming where like a small one that seems like that would be a nicer community. Like that's part of what you're getting out of going to church. So these mega churches seem crazy. Um, I don't actually know what the difference is between a lot of the different denominations. Yeah. Of Christianity. So what makes, what's the, the elevator pitch for Baptist? Yeah. yeah. Well, we know the slavery. We thing. know the slavery. Yeah. Thing, which also, which that happened? I think that was, Last year they had, yeah, it was last year that they had had, I don't know if there was, um, so they have Southern Baptist conventions that happen like once a year. Yeah. I've read about this in in the news a little bit. Yeah. So they had uh, a preacher, a black preacher from Texas had presented this amendum, amendum, whatever, something to be voted Mm -hmm. on that was, um, distant, like saying that. All like officially, officially separating from separating from mm-hmm. white supremacy. We abolish white supremacy and the alt right. We think this is like xenophobic. We like are against racism. Blah blah blah, and all this. And he had presented this as to be voted on in this at the convention. And so there's a pre-screening committee that is like here's all of the things, the proposals that people want to vote on and have statements. And then they had said that this wasn't. They didn't. They weren't interested in voting on this as like a convention. So, but they had not approached him to discuss like the wording or to uh, discuss like amending it, which is mm-hmm. what they ended up saying was the reason why they didn't vote to have it into the vote. The larger vote mm-hmm. was like, oh well, we we aren't against this, but we just didn't think we had the right wording. Right. We didn't agree. But with they didn't the give him the but opportunity they to have a discussion about there, it. There was no discussion about rewording it or Yikes. having a conversation about it. And they so he just like at this at the convention everything was over and they were you know he was like came up to the mic and was having this argument he was like this was not like I'm pushing I would like to have more time to discuss this being ratified as like Mm -hmm. that we should be able to say that we are against white supremacy and the alt-right and this kind of violence and hate um and they were like out of it no one like it didn't happen he ran out of time it wasn't voted through and it wow. was just like this whole thing was at the you know people who were involved like in the in the Southern Baptist Church are like if we can't vote and if we can't if it's not an it should be a no brainer mm-hmm. that we're against violence in this way we're against white supremacy like but it's so funny that and it's not funny at all but it is that if you look at the system that the reason why the Southern Baptist Convention exists in the first place is that it was in support of slavery and they cannot vote to make a statement against white supremacy and the alt-right what you're still a system that is mm-hmm. in support of slavery yeah like you still like exist to this day to this yeah. day you can you cannot have it in your brochures or anything or your promotional like you know they have on the website like here's our what our beliefs are yeah well you can say that you're against racism but like if you cannot even have a discussion about having a a policy mm-hmm. or a belief. Then functionally, in place. you're not opposed. opposed well, to I mean, that, yeah. that'd be like the, the Catholic Church going back on divorce, right? Because that was the whole thing that split the church in in the first place. So it's like, well, I guess we're keeping this one on the books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
yeah. So so then what else b- besides so, that makes Baptist, They're against homosexuality and, like, sexual deviation. It says it on their website. Okay. Like, that's a basic belief of, like, por- again, they're against homosexuality, sexual deviation, and pornography, or the, like, sexual deviation including homosexuality and pornography. Um, baptism, Baptists are all about you get fully dunked. Like, there's no, yeah. no sprinkling. You are fully submerged yes. when you are baptized. Okay. Um, my grandfather actually, bab- this is one of the nice things about growing up the way I did was that my, I had my grandfather baptize me in our, in the lake that was on our property in Tennessee, which was like a really nice like moment with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but like fully, like you wade out in the water and like you're dunked in. Um, yeah. I think that I was reading over their stuff this morning and it's kind of just like, I don't know, a lot of words that don't really seem like they mean anything. Yeah. They like, God is the one true God. The Bible is his holy word and cannot be, it's 100% true and factual and we can't, there's no deviating from it. There's wow. no interpreting it in a different way. It's perfect. Um, God is in three. God, the Father, the Holy, the Son, Wait, and the, the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. The New Testament or is it like no shellfish? You know, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. There's no, dis- I don't think so. When I was reading it, it was just like the Bible is. But then they still like cherry pick though because Baptists are eating shellfish. So it's not like fundamentalist really. Like that's It's not-, not, I mean, no, it's not fun. Okay. I, in my experience, it's not fundamentalist okay. except on certain things. It's like the pick and choose thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're going to say that like homosexuality is wrong or we're going to say that, you know, they'll pick that, you know, the men and women are created equal, but- women like are subservient like mm-hmm. to their husbands just like yeah. and they always are like just like the churches to Christ and I'm like what are you talking like yeah. they're very clear in saying like they're equal but right there's always the, the yeah. asterisk they're yeah. equal but you should be like support your husband in knowing that he knows like the best thing for you and your family oh, and God. yeah all of that yeah it's just not a very it's very it's when I was reading like this saying that like the specifically about the Bible being like perfect and there, this is the word of God and no deviating from that is, I was like, this sounds like a cult. Yeah. This is what I would read of anything else and be like, wow, these people are (laughs) wacky. Well, and the, the Westboro Baptist church actually is not part of the Baptist coalition anymore. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, you, you think it's too ex- far. Yeah, they're like extremists, like public extremists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they did it publicly. And then that was where they fucked up. That was they where they publicly. fucked up. Like yeah. you couldn't, you could have been fine. You like could we scream never at had, your you son that fine, God hates fags. Yeah. 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 You yeah. have, yeah, like, you can. <laughs> you have bright signs. You can't, right, you can't exactly. do that about it. You guys yeah. went with like the Microsoft Word art <laughs> signs and now we're mad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and. It's a huge organization of churches. Yeah. Like, there's so many people and so many churches that are a part of this and so many members um, of those churches. I mean, I grew the, – the church that I went to the longest was a non-denominational church. Um, they were like a contemporary church. Uh, they didn't have like a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. There was like a sanctuary but it was very, built very like – mid 2000s modern. Um, and then there was like a big church, a children's church that my mom like set up or was a part of like setting up and where it was like, you know, you had plays and it was very like interactive and like learning about people as like stories of the Bible is like very 
people and exciting and like what is the food that would have been eaten back then and tasting dates with kids and like it was a really cool experience mm-hmm. um in a lot of ways and um you know th- i remember them having there's this town also has a very like christian church i mean a christian uh college a big university is called union university and it's a big like um theological school yeah and then that has also gotten into trouble in the past, like maybe 10 years or whatever over like elite, like what is their stance with the Southern Baptist association where they kicked out of the Southern Baptist, what they're saying, you know, all the stuff that I was like, I don't care anymore about Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. But a lot of the pastors at the church that I went to were professors there and they taught theology. Um, And so there was always like church was always about like digging into the Bible and really understanding like what's the where where did this word in Latin come from? What does love mean? Like what are the different types? The word Latin words for love are different. We only have this one. So it was very like it felt very genuine and authentic growing up and that people like cared about treating each other nicely. And it was very kind of basic. But at the same time, you know, they were struggling. Like I remember having conversation, you know, a sermon where the preacher was talking about uh, abortion Mm -hmm. and like stance on abortion and being like very conflicted and talking about his conflicts about like what his stance was on it. Um, But then at the same time, this church was also the church that like kicked my like friend at the time out because he was gay or whatever. And he was allowed to come back after he went to the military and had a wife and wow. Did did you feel like very tied to this religion or did you always feel like a little bit of an outsider going through that experience? I think that both. Mm -hmm. It always varied. Like I did grow up believe, I mean, I grew, I believed um, pretty strongly like in Christianity as like up to about 11. Mm -hmm. And then I think seeing like how Christians were just as shitty as other people or like were judging me over their beliefs in like this homeschool group or my friends disappearing Mm -hmm. or um, people dealing with suicide and it being very like hushed and not explained. And I felt very like um, not all of the information was provided to me. And it was a very much like, just be happy with this amount of information. Yeah. Yeah. And don't question anything. Don't question anything. This is the way it is. We're not curious. We're not like there, that kind of thing started, I think we're around like 11 or 12. Yeah. Cause that's when you sort of become a curious, you know, in a way. Yeah. You start to be like, like curiosity is your whole brand when you're that age. It's like, well now I'm, you know, you start to question everything. Well, you see the contradictions between the world that you're experiencing and the things being told to you. And you're like, well, wait, if I'm feeling this, then why? Or like, if I see this or Mm -hmm. if, if God is, you know, in charge of everything and whatnot, horrible thing. Yeah, Yeah. Why do all these horrible things happen, but then why do these bad people seem to be okay? Like, yeah. what's going on here, you know? What was your exposure to, like, pop culture as a kid? Like, were you I watching had, everything, like, cable and all that? And Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I, we, have, we had exposure to, like, my parents never said, you can't watch that or this. There was, like, a, a kind of, like, a, a lazy <laughs> uh, 
censoring going mm-hmm. on. Like mm-hmm. you can't watch that, but then no like controls over anything. No, right. no watch. We were just like watching like, TV or whatever. You can be alone in the room forever. You know. Yeah, we could be in the room. <laughs> we had a TV in our room. Okay. Like it was yeah. fine. Like my parents and and we always my family always grew up watching movies. Like we're really big into watching movies together, and like having that was like our time together as a family. And then yeah. with movies would be you know we were watching. I watched Alien when I was like six. I still haven't seen that Ooh. because it looks terrifying. I was I was. So terrified but then also like in love with it i was like this is the best movie ever i was well, like Sigourney so Weaver scared was a babe she's in movie. incredible yeah. in that movie <laughs> yeah. and there's a cat and then she like oh this, yeah no yeah. one listens to her she's Ugh. literally like let's follow the systems in place and everyone's like no let them in and then everyone right. dies because of that they don't listen yeah. to her because they don't listen to her they don't listen to Always. this woman yeah who's like uh, who was the authority in this yeah. situation and now there's a monster in the room and it's the scariest thing anyone's ever seen. Yeah. Aliens. It was like, the alien was amazing. It was great. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I was, you know, I, we could watch anything. Okay. Like Disney was huge. And then I also, but I also, oh yeah, I had friend, I had a friend who was, she was a preacher's kid and she was not allowed to watch any Disney movies. So when she would come over and like sleep over at my house, we would always watch Disney movies because mm-hmm. she couldn't watch them at home. And I was like, this is like so silly. Yeah. You can't watch this movie because- Oh, because they didn't support Disney because Disney had Pride Days. They were like, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, little do they know, Disney at that time was just like ramping it up with the, you know, the gender role kind of stuff. Like I was going to say, like, parents uh, boycott Disney for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. So one being like, oh, they're okay with gays. And I know, like, my aunt and uncle, they, they didn't say that their kids weren't, like, allowed to watch Disney movies, but they also didn't like how... Uh, gendered and like oh, yeah. traditional gender right. roles at that they felt like it was always like a man saving a woman and you know they didn't want their Which kids you would think to think would fall in line with like christianity yeah you know like yeah. Part of at, at that time yeah created equal but yeah yeah current disney movies i can see how they'd have a problem with it with yeah. all those empowered girls and everything yeah so <laughs> and uh what's it in beauty and the beast uh lefou Le dancing with a man for half a second half uh a you second. know you yeah. can't you yeah. can't do that you can't it's gonna turn that. all the kids gay um <laughs> So as we kind of wind down on our topic, I want to know, like, how did this experience of of growing up Baptist uh, influence or affect you in terms of the kinds of uh, movies you want to make and stories that you want to tell in your work now? I I think that it's I've always been conflicted about, like, how I was raised and, like, the love that people show, the people that loved me and really cared about me but then also did things and continue to do things that hurt me. Mm -hmm. You know, people that say they love me, but and they love me entirely, but then they vote for Trump or vote against um, policies that would be in place to protect me or my partner or um, the people in my community. Um, So I think that's always been, I think that created a questioning of everything. Mm -hmm. And and, um, so I think that's an an element in my life that helped me figure out what I believe in for myself and what I think is fair mm-hmm. or um, something to that effect. Like, I think that is like what has come out of that and knowing that people, I don't know, that's something like that. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then also like growing up and trying to figure out like who I am, like there's no, and figuring out like um, what is it about and seeing just seeing I I know where I came from and how incredibly different I am from that person mm-hmm. and so like 
I just feel like so many people, and if I had known, this is what I'm trying to say is like, if I had known, or if I had been exposed to, or if I had seen anything of the stories that like are about people who are anything different or marginalized people or queer stories and not just like, not gay movies, but like queer stories, like Mm -hmm. movies or film, whatever the content is, music about people not suffering, people not dying, no insurance fraud. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's not the definition Mm -hmm. of like what our like queer life is like. Um, I think my life would have just, it wouldn't have obviously wouldn't have been like free of pain or anything, but it would have just, I would have not hated myself so much growing up. Yeah. If we could have had one movie about gay men where the tragedy isn't AIDS, like just one. Yeah. Or like getting beaten to death at the end or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Anything like that. Just people existing, people living, people having their lives fully realized in some sort of um, visual storytelling. And so I think that that is what I, uh, what the work that I'm trying to create with Sour Peach, mm-hmm. um, with Erica and my other, my partner, um, Cody, who's the director on this documentary um, about this Dragon Burlesque Collective is like, it's not, we're not making, I'm tired of making movie about people like in the past, like, oh, this is what they did and they died or they suffered or anything and we should remember them. Like that's yeah. a place, but that's also such a limitation of mm-hmm. like what our stories are. And it's, I think it doesn't do those people who suffered any service to not celebrate the people who are living now and doing the work now yeah. that have made that those people who had a hard time or, or did something incredible for our community or like suffered or anything like that made space for and created space for. And now that I would just want to celebrate the people who are now making space mm-hmm. for themselves and therefore for other people. And like, that's what I'm trying to do. Cause I think that if you're only making movies about the hurt, the pain, yeah, or movies that are for straight people or straight audiences to pr- like forcing people to see our humanity. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you yeah. see our humanity. I'm, I'm, I celebrate these people who are alive now or yeah. are people who are existing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, switch and play that you're working on? Yeah. So we started, uh, my partner Cody and I'm, um, was one of our first dates. I found this bar, uh, branded saloon, which is yes, a, yeah, you never handed. Yeah, I've um, I've performed there. They do, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. they have stand up shows. They sometimes. do yeah. a lot of stuff in this little back room, the stained glass it's back fun. room. It's a yeah. great little space, um, and in Prospect Heights, and they uh, they were having a queer quarterly country music night. Hello, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was that like. Awesome, because <laughs> I was like looking for country music on a whim yeah, like a couple yeah. of years ago, and I was like, oh, you know, there's jalopy or whatever, and then there was this queer country quarterly. So I ended up going, and um, this musician Amethyst Kia, who actually is like very clo- lives very close to where I am, is like like Southern Gothic singer was performing, and I've seen her a couple times. If you look her up, she's awesome queer chick in the South making country music. Um, but so then they had posters up for their drag show, um, this drag and burlesque show switch and play. And I, we were like, whatever that is, like we have yes. to go. Yeah. Um, all these faces on this are amazing. Like, let's go. So we came back and just immediately fell in love with this like gay church that's in the back room of this country Western bar. That is, there's a, the, there's seven members in the collective. They've been running for 11 years. Oh no, 12 years now. They're into their 12th year. They're award-winning. They've won the Brooklyn Nightlife Award for Best Burlesque 
show wow. twice. And uh, two of their drag kings have won Best Drag King of the Year two years in a row. I think 2016, 2017, or the other way, 2017, 2018. Um, they're queer in every, like their mission statement is, um, we're queer in every sense of the word. And it is that way. Like they, I've never been to a space that I felt so comfortable and so empowered. And you look around the room and it's the people there are all in the same mindset. They're there to, you're just like throwing dollars in such a joyful way of seeing other people celebrate all these bodies mm-hmm. in every way. And different uh, performances and different styles of art and different ways of telling art that are political. I mean, I think it's all political in what they're yeah. doing. But um, funny things, goofy things, strip-teasy things, burlesque things, it's just all of it together in the same space um, is, like, incredibly empowering. And they take you through. They really explain, like, the femme Miss Malice. She hosts this evening. She curates this space they all curate it, but she really is like the person who's taking everyone through. And like, they do a tipping demo at the beginning. They show you, this is how you hold a dollar. Mm -hmm. And you graciously thank the person who's like doing a performance. Like, thank you for sharing your work and your body. And I deeply respect you and would never do anything to, to disrespect you in any way. And like, here's where I'm going to place the dollar. And I think that's a way of, they talk about consent very quickly, very funny, very like engaging and approachable. But that is like, oh, okay, now I know how to be in this space. Yeah. Like, now I'm comfortable. I know that I can tip because I- You know what the boundaries are. You know what is I've been expected. told. Like, yeah. I have boundaries and I know that this is okay. This That's is really cool. And it's amazing. And everyone comes in. That changes the entire, I think, the entire experience of the show. That, like, one thing um, just is like, yes, we are here. We're, she says, like, we're subverting capitalism. We're, like, uh, yeah. like spending money on, like, the queer body. And I think that's, yeah, they're amazing, incredible. We shot their first show, or we shot a show, um, the movie is called A Night at Switch and Play. Okay. And it, the course of the structure of the film is that it takes place at one night. So one sh- entire show where the whole collective performs. And then we intercut with founding members who started the collective at, um, uh, in a, ca- a coffee shop like 12 years ago that they performed in the back room of. And then we also see like guest performers because they do... They always have guest performers who come on and perform different acts and different performances with them. But then they also do a moxie show. They call it moxie, and it's I think it's once a month or every other month. But they, um, you can, it's people who are either performing for the first time, or seasoned or like new performers, mm-hmm. or seasoned performers who are testing out new material, a new performance, mm-hmm. whatever, a new costume or something. And so they get like a ton of people in the room. It's an open do, mic for burlesque. Yeah, and a, and then but it's also a uh, a fundraiser. So okay. like they raise oh. like fifteen hundred dollars for an organization like this, la- over fifteen hundred dollars for this organization um, for the queer detainee uh, project. I'm not okay. saying that queer detainee program project yeah. yes you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah but they do that and that's so that's the night like they do these fundraisers for that's awesome uh, but engage that's the community great. and letting you have like this space to perform so i need to check them out this they are great. fantastic i'd love I, to see it and they've just become like it really feels like you're just at home on a saturday night in the back room of this mm-hmm. country western bar the bar and itself is called saloon branded saloon. or Bra- branded saloon okay. yeah 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 cool. the bar itself is branded saloon and um yeah, they're called Switch and Play, and they're Switch and Play on all their social media, and they're just every single person in that collective has impacted my life and my partner's life in such an incredible way. Like I just, this movie is just like about 
to show other people. Like it yeah. is what I was saying earlier. It's like a, I want to celebrate them and I want to yeah. document them. They've been for they've been going. They're pulling the long haul here of like 12 yeah, years. That's a long time. And yeah. when people, and now that with like such an obsession with like uh, such a watching of RuPaul and then people who don't, don't go to their local drag yeah. and don't support their local burlesque or their local mm-hmm. whatever scene. Yep. It's like, you're just consuming this exactly. in a way that you're like consuming this for a TV network and the people who are actually working and doing this are not getting support. You're not supporting them in any way in their art. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are 100% artists and that's yeah. awesome. I can't wait for that. I know. I love them. Really, I just, really gosh. Great. when you were talking about the host, it <laughs> reminded me of a time that I was asked to host a burlesque show and uh, do so in drag, mm. which I did. It was my friend's show. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. Uh, but she asked me cause I'm a, a standup. Well, hosting a standup show is very different than hosting a burlesque show. And afterwards she's like, yeah, I forgot how different it is to host that. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I, f- I felt terrible. I was so nervous about doing in the first place because one, I don't do drag. Mm-hmm. Um, I did drag once for a comedy show called Dudes Being Dudes Being Dudes where you, yeah, dress like a dude mm-hmm. and then do comedy as you think a dude would just kind of poking oh, fun at yeah, like the yeah. stereotypes of male comedians and and that was fun, and she saw the pictures of me, and that was like, why don't you host this um, King so of Kings leap. of Queens burlesque yeah. show I'm doing? Uh, <laughs> so I did, but I didn't talk like I forgot to talk about like tipping and those kind of things. I didn't say like who's seeing burlesque for the first time, yeah, like right. no touching, don't creep on people after you know. I didn't lay out any of those things. I just like went into my jokes, yeah, and was like trying to figure out my. They person. didn't set you I'm, up for success, did they? When they- <laughs> well, you know, she she did a little bit, but she also was like performing in the show and, and yeah, producing yeah, yeah. it, and had like a lot going on, and um, knew that I'd seen enough burlesque that that I should know, um, but I didn't. Yeah. You know, like it's it's like such a very specific. Well, now you job. know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now I know to say no <laughs> if somebody asks me to host the burlesque. I'm not show. qualified. I'm not. Definitely not. Okay, let's get to our listener question. Speaking of unqualified, let's give advice to somebody who wrote into us. (laughs) For the sake of everyone's time, I will try to keep this short. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. It runs (laughs) over half a page. I am way more gay than I thought I was. I won't go into detail why, but in retrospect, it's so obvious. I've identified as pansexual and my husband is a trans man. I knew I liked women, but thought I was more straight leaning. I now realize that I probably don't really like men at all. I could have saved myself so much time. Part two. Okay. When I first met my husband, we talked about polyamory. He was polyamorous, and I have never believed myself to be monogamous. It was part of what attracted me to him. As time passed, he was less comfortable with polyamory. Now we are monogamous, and I feel a little like I'm suffocating. If I'm being honest, I'm a bit angry that uh, this really important detail is something that uh, over 10 years later, he's still not ready for it, even though he was polyamorous before me. We had mutual friends, so I know this to be true. Uh, I want to address this with him and have romantic relationships with women, but I don't know how to begin the conversation. He's fragile. I don't want to scare him. Secondly, uh, I am seriously afraid that this epiphany about my sexuality could jeopardize my marriage. He still gives me butterflies even after a decade, but the structure of our relationship isn't satisfying to me. 
how the fuck do I begin this conversation? What should I say? What shouldn't I say? I feel pretty seriously screwed right now. Also, uh, I realize I did not keep this short. Please forgive me. LOL. We forgive you. We knew it. (laughs) Uh, Wow. This one's a a tricky. Well, first of all, you you obviously have to communicate with him about this. And I would also highly suggest probably couples therapy at this point because yeah. you're, you might need some help guiding the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah. that's kind of what, what a, what a therapist could do is basically just facilitate the conversation. So I think that's for sure something to consider. What great advice coming from someone who's never been a therapist. Exactly. And who really should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start writing listener questions and letting you answer them and you won't know it's me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, as far as things you shouldn't say, definitely one thing that stu- stu- like stood out to me is you say he used to be polyamorous and now he's not, and I think that's fine. Like, it's okay for someone, it's okay for him to change his feelings about that arrangement and what it means for him. So I, I think that's... But he should also understand what that means for you. Right, of course, but it's also, but it's not something that he should be really, like, shamed for. Not that you were shaming him, but... Yeah. He shouldn't have to stick to something just because he was into it 10 years ago. Yeah. But also, but again, that you guys have to communicate about that. Yeah. And sometimes uh people who are polyamorous uh at some point uh it, it might just be because that's what works for them at that point in yeah. time in, in their lives and that's what they're comfortable with or maybe it has to do with the the relationships that they had in the past but then and it becomes unsustainable for some reason. Yeah. yeah. But then sometimes you meet someone that you're like, oh, no, I want to be monogamous with yeah. with you. And that other part doesn't seem relevant right. to, to my happiness and uh, whatnot. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you talk about being way more into women? Like, is that something that he needs to know? Or, like, would that help him feel better in that way that, I don't know. That's the I mean, thing. yeah, you don't know what is it's going to hard. make him feel. Yeah. Cuz you like you said he's fra- like you you want to frame it in a way that's not like here are all the things that I dislike about you and about this relationship. Right, cuz it's you not know? about it's like, not about that that, he, that she's no longer attracted to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like she is. She does still like yeah. love him, give butterflies and all of that. But yeah, I think like the conversation of like having someone there to like help you lead that and with an intentionality of like, okay, we're going to talk about this in this space and that is separate from like when we leave the room, like yeah, we're still together. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. still here with you. This is just something that I'm – like this is something now that I want or, and, and this is something that he no longer wants. Yeah. I think that's – Or her assumption that he no longer wants. I'm not, yeah. You know, I mean for all she knows, maybe he'll be receptive to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and want the best for her and want her to be happy. Yeah, and maybe it's that he doesn't want to participate in – uh, polyamory, but like right. is okay. I guess not and participate in polyamory, but he doesn't want to have other relationships outside of her, but it's would be okay with her having other yeah. relationships. Yeah. I, I think being very honest with yourself too, um, about what you want and, uh, because you, you are saying that, that you love your husband, you still get butterflies and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you really, really, really like know for sure, like you want to be with them and you want to continue uh, this marriage, 
then communicate that. Like that's the most important part. Like say, you know, regardless of anything else that uh, that's going to come up during these conversations. And if you go to couples therapy and everything like uh, that would be very comforting, I think for him to know mm-hmm. that like, no matter what, that's still the most important thing to you is keeping the the marriage. Yeah. Uh, make that clear if that's how you feel. Intact. For sure. But if, if that's not, the truth um, as somebody who is married to someone who didn't want to be married to them, but lied about it for uh, mm-hmm. years. That's me. <laughs> and you know, and I think it was cause my ex wasn't yeah, no. being honest yeah. with right. herself yeah. about, you know, and it was easier for her to be like, Oh no, no, I still want to be married. And, but that wasn't the, the truth. And, right. uh, and you know, like that's, that's not an easy th- big time to that person. It, it is, but it's also like not an easy thing to admit. Yeah, and it's not like this crystal clear thing. One morning where you're like, "Oh no, this is you know," like there's a lot of uh, denial that that goes mm-hmm. on. So I would say, like, maybe go to therapy first by yourself. On your own, yeah, sure. yeah, uh, might help it. and talk about it and make sure that you know that that can kind of like help you assess where you're you're really at and all this. Um, and then, yeah, cu- couples counseling, but communicating this is such an important yeah. thing. Yeah, going and to you, therapy you and being able to build up, like, this is how I can talk about it. And, yeah. Like, how do I bring this up mm-hmm. with yeah. my husband? Well, that's that. Yeah. We solved it. Solved it again. Yeah. Another <laughs> slam dunk on diking out. <laughs> Check. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chelsea, where can people find you on social media? They can find us at we're at Sour Peach Films on Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And then I am my name, which is Chelsea Allison Moore. Uh, that's my email. And my uh, also our website is sourpeachfilms.com. So, and then we link to us, our individual accounts. Cool. Great. Yeah. Cool. And you can follow us at Diking Out on all social media. Also, um, Make sure that if you haven't already, please, please, please go to iTunes and leave us a review that helps other people find the podcast and uh, also subscribe to the podcast. That helps a lot and goes uh, a long way and help. All we want is for more people to dike out with us. Uh, It's just never enough people diking out. So help other people find us. And that's an easy way to do it. Follow us at Diking Out. Email your questions, dikingout at gmail.com. You can follow me personally for pictures of me and my wife uh, at TGI Carolyn. <laughs> and I'm at the Sarah York. Thank you for diking out with us this week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.